The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Back to the Future. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? It's a nice uh, Michelob Ultra. Cool. Uh, also joining us is Mugga. How you doing, Mugs? What's up? Uh, what are you drinking today? Uh, Merlot and Ultra. Uh, making her debut on the show is Michelle. Michelle, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm excellent. By the way, Michelle is my little sister. So, hey. yeah. What are you drinking? <laughs> A huge hydro flask of water. Great. And also making his return to the show is Dominic. Dominic, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. What are you drinking today? Uh, Modelo. Cool. Uh, so today we're talking about Back to the Future. It was released July 3rd, 1985. It's produced by Amblin Entertainment and Universal Pictures, and it's distributed by Universal Pictures. It stars Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, Thomas F. Wilson, Claudia Wells, James Tolkien, Mike McClure, and Wendy Jo Sperber. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis and written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Uh, before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financial I'm going to start off with just Back to the Future 1, but I'll get into some franchise stuff. But this did well back in the time that it was released. Um, 211 uh, U.S., a million, obviously. Um, 4 and 170, giving it a total of 381. Um, opening weekend was 15 million. It went up against movies that were in their first... Have you guys seen these movies or heard of them? The Emerald Forest that opened that week, the same I mean, that same weekend, and Ren Sonja. I, I have no idea what that is. Oh, Ren Sonja? That's yeah, what, that's Bridget, what it is, yeah. Brigitte Nielsen, right? Is that, I've never seen it, i never heard of yeah, it. Yeah, it's I don't based, know. On a, based on a comic book, I think. Okay. Yeah. But movies that were in theater, not as opening weekend, but Rambo First Blood Part Two, uh, Cocoon, um, Return to Oz, and also another favorite is Goonies. Comparing it to number two, it actually did better than number two. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out is that uh, the franchise made over a billion dollars, which is equivalent to around 113 1955 Obviously, had to throw that out there, right? But this is something that's interesting. It made, um, obviously, like I said, $381 million, but it was one of the slowest movies to ever get to $200 million. It actually took 232 days. And I'm wondering why you guys might think that or what would the reason be for that? Wait, so was it in theaters for that long? Um, 232 days is what it said. I, I read a statistic that it took 232 days for it to get to $200 million. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, nowadays, movies are in theaters for maybe like three, four months tops, yeah. if that. So maybe back in the 80s. Just longer. longer. Yeah, they just yeah. stayed longer. I also heard that it was one of the highest, what, what do they say? Um, it was the number one movie for the longest running span of three months. So for three months straight, it was the number one movie at the box office. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I it, yeah, I don't have that statistic, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, you know. It's a great movie. I already given it 20. Yeah, already. <laughs> but that's, that's all I got for financials. All right, Jason, why don't you tell us what the people thought of this movie? So Rotten Tomatoes, they have uh, the critic score at 96%. Uh, so 96% of people or critics liked it with a rating of 8.73 out of 10 with 78 reviews. 94% of the audience liked it with an average rating of 3.8 out of 5. And then IMDb gives it an 8.5 out of 10 with 930,000 reviews. When we look at some of the demos on this one, males under 18 give it one of the highest ones at 8.7. And then females gave it an 8.4. Uh, under 18. So again, when we look at this younger demo, they're giving it still the highest rating. These ones, there's a decent amount of reviews for each. Again, the females is kind of low, but um, when we look at the lowest demo, so I just thought, I thought that was kind of interesting. 
All right, Jason, so take us behind the scenes on Back to the Future. Okay, so the idea of Back to the Future came after writer Bob Gale visited his parents in Missouri after the release of his previous film, Used Cars, that starred Kurt Russell, which was a huge just box office bomb. I've never seen the movie, um, but it didn't do very well at all. While he was at his parents' house, he found an old yearbook of his dad's in the basement, and he found out that his dad was actually the class president of the graduating class, which he had never known. So he started to wonder, like, if Bob Gale was going to school at the same time and with his dad, like, would they have been friends? Like, I don't know if you guys, I've never really thought about that personally. I have, I have. You haven't thought about that? Like, would it be like? Hell no. Really? Yeah, so, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be friends with my parents. I don't know if I'd be friends with them. I'm just saying I thought about it. Same. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would be either. Maybe my dad. I don't know about my mom, but I might be friends with my dad. I'm not sure. Um, so he was in Missouri. When he returned to California, he brought this idea to Zemeckis. They collaborated a lot on it, and this is kind of weird, but Zemeckis brought up another like idea about having a mom claiming to never have kissed a boy, but in fact she was actually really promiscuous. So you kind of see in the movie like she's kind of uptight about that stuff about you know seeing a parked car with the boy or whatever like that, but you know actually she was kind of promiscuous. So I thought that was like a weird idea that he just kind of came up with. So they developed this project and they took it to Columbia Pictures to make a development deal for a script uh, in September of 1980. Columbia gave him the green light to write a script. So in 81, uh, they took it back to Columbia and they didn't like the first version of the script saying it wasn't sexual enough. So at the time, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont yeah. High, uh, Breakfast Club, Breakfast Club, Porky's, yeah. all these movies are coming out. They're, and I think at this time, those are pretty like cutting edge for them yeah. with the I humor. I think there was like a Cheech and Chong movie too, where it had that, right? Yeah. Like compared to like those movies where like they wanted more going into it, right? Yeah. So they wanted movies that were more risque yeah. and Columbia's like, this is not taking it to that next level. So they, they weren't, it's, they not weren't what's, it's not what's selling. Yeah. yeah. They, they weren't digging it. So Columbia suggested they actually take it to Disney. But at first, Zemeckis and Gale, they're like, hey, let's let's take it to some other studios and see if, you know, they, quote, wanted a piece of them. So over the next few years, they took it to a total of 40 movie studios that would all reject the script. Was Universal ever, like, one of those meetings, or was it, like, I don't understand how that happened then. Well, was it I'll, I'll Spielberg t- got into the picture? Yeah, so that, that's a little bit later. Okay. So they may have taken, I, I didn't read that they took it to Universal, but they took it to 40 movie studios. I did 40? 40. 40? And it got rejected. It, yeah. yeah. Shit, I bet those guys wish they could go back in time. That's number one. <laughs> that's number uh, two. Damn it. Wow. Dom, where you at? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, guys. He just clocked in, so he doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> damn it, he's at two. <laughs> All right, so... Again, they kind of started with the idea, or Columbia gave them the idea to Disney. So after these movie studios rejected them, they they didn't know where else to go. They're like, screw it. Let's try and take it to Disney. And Disney said the opposite of what Columbia said and said that a mother falling in love with their son would not be a very appropriate theme under the Disney name. I thought they even used the words as as basically incest. Incest. Yeah. Yeah. Which I kind of understand. I totally understand, yeah. Um, So initially... Before they took it to these 40 movie studios, Zemeckis and Gale took the script to Spielberg, who actually loved it, but they didn't want to include him on the development of the project initially because Zemeckis was nervous of not being able to get a job again if this movie was not well received. In fact, Bob Gale and Zemeckis had worked previously with Spielberg on two other films, Used Cars 
and I want to hold your hand, but they were both just huge box office bombs. They just, they didn't do well at all. So uh, Bob Gale said that in quotes, uh, we were afraid that they would get the reputation that they're the two guys that could get a job because they were pals with Steven Spielberg. So they were afraid that, hey, if we take this and it tanks, like we're pretty much going to have to change jobs, which I kind of understand that. Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. So struggling to find a studio to make the movie, Zemeckis decided to direct another movie on his own, Romancing the Stone. Uh, Robert Zemeckis, I've n- have you guys ever seen that? I've never seen I, it. No, but I was reading that no, too, but that, that was it. huge success, right? Yeah. yeah, so Robert Zemeckis from this gained uh, a lot of notoriety from directing this in 1984. Uh, it was super successful in the theaters. So Zemeckis, along with Gale, felt a lot more confident now going to Spielberg with the concept. And Spielberg agreed to produce the movie uh, along with his executive producers, Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. This would be the first production under the Amblin Entertainment Production Company and Universal that would not have Steven Spielberg as a director. Oh, wow. So they're using his company along with Universal, but... Spielberg would be not directing this. He would just be producing. Yeah, and that was weird too because like when I watched it again recently for this podcast, I had no idea that Steven Spielberg was ever involved because I never paid attention. So mm-hmm. as soon as I saw Amblin and, you know, produced by Steven Spielberg, I was like, oh, he's involved with this because he's involved in everything in the right. 80s. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to imagine movies like around the time like E.T. and all these other movies like under the Amblin name, like he was involved in a lot of stuff, especially back then. So the script was held at Columbia because that's where they originally went to get the development deal. But they faced some legal issues around another movie called Big Trouble. Um, So along with Spielberg and Universal, they were able to get Back to the Future to Universal for the likeness rights of another movie that they produced that was kind of like Big Trouble. So that's how they got the rights at Universal. Just a little fun fact, too. Um, I didn't know this, but USC, USC's film school, the University of South California's film school writing classes use the screenplay for Back to the Future as a model of the perfect screenplay. Right. I read that also. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Makes me like this movie even more. All right. So with the cast, we've got to start with Marty McFly. Or they were going to originally call him uh, Marty McDermott. So. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I mean, you got to think, like, you always say, McFly, like, it's, I feel like it's really common, at least from my McDermott? family. McDermott? Yeah. Yeah, that decision didn't fly. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> so, Michael J. Fox, who's 24 at the time, was the first choice. Um, they actually scouted him while he was on the set of Teen Wolf. But at the same time, uh, Michael J. Fox was doing uh, the series Family Ties. I heard he read the script, though, and he really wanted to do it because of like the whole music thing with the guitar as well as oh, the yeah. skateboards. Like He was so interested in doing it, right? There was a quote. Uh, he said, all I did in high school was skateboard, chase girls, and play in bands. I even dreamed of becoming a rock star. Yeah. So this kind of fit him to a T. You know, again, there was conflict with Family Ties. Uh, his co-star, Meredith Baxter, was out on maternity leave. She was pregnant. So they were focusing the show more on Michael J. Fox. So that's why he couldn't leave to go do this project at first. Um, it'd be too much for him. So the other two choices were C. Thomas Howell, who had appeared in Red Dawn, The Outsiders, and E.T. Another one was Eric Stoltz, who had appeared in the movie Mask and was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his performance. I've read a few different things, four to six, but between four and six weeks into shooting, Zemeckis and Spielberg decided Stoltz was not right for the part. Recasting costed them an additional $3 million. They wanted someone that was more organic to the role and that brought more comedic value like Fox as opposed to more dramatic performance. I heard Stoltz was not comedic at all in the shots that he yeah. did or whatnot. No, so you seen if, clips of it? Yeah, I it, actually it's, it's I researched weird, it. It's weird, huh? Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Um, it's like very dark. 
almost like the on oh, just the clothing he was wearing and just like the mood on his face. But he had some moron stoltz too, right? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I have that like he's a big method actor and he wanted everyone to call him Marty. Yeah. And when they did shoot, I guess the directors were like, "Hey, we really don't want this," but they said, "Hey, shoot the scenes with him, and if you don't like it, we can recast him." Thinking it would never happen, these guys said, "We know it's going to happen." And when Spielberg wanted to fire him, he said, "Hey, you know, Eric." He says, "My name's Marty." He goes, "No, funny thing, it's Eric. You're fired." <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was kind of, I don't know. Speaking of Sheen's, Charlie Sheen was a choice for He was, <laughs> yeah, at one point he was. They had an interview with Christopher Lloyd, too, and they were telling him that they, hey, you know, we had to let Eric go, like we had to find a replacement. And he's like, Eric, I, who's Eric? And like, oh, the, the actor playing Marty. And he's like, Christopher Lloyd's like, I thought this guy's name was Marty the entire time. He's <laughs> like, I had no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> Um, so I but thought that was kind of funny. One so thing I want to That was get, like a literal name drop. Like they dropped him from the podcast. <laughs> yeah. One thing I want to bring up, I, I they did shoot scenes with him, right? Yeah. And there are some like Back to the Future diehard fans that claim there are shots where it's his face or it's him because they didn't shoot that angle with Michael J. Fox. I can't tell the difference. I've even gone over the scenes. I guess one is where he's punching Biff. Yeah, so yeah. when they're in the, 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 yeah, they're in the, the 50s diner. Yeah, and yeah the actual punch. The, yeah. Is not Michael J. Fox. It's Eric Stoltz. Can you guys tell? I can't tell the. I, I looked at Isn't it. Him running away too. Like, I, I think like, that one of them was him running too, because it was only at the beginning. Because they had to do the nineteen fifty five scenes first yeah. on the whole Clock Tower area, because then they tore that down. So it had to been one of those scenes, but I, I don't know. Yeah, it's him jumping into the DeLorean. Yeah. Like, oh, if okay. Still yeah. frame it. I wanted to bring it up too. I guess by him doing those shots, it cost them around four million dollars, and just extra stuff, right? Because obviously they didn't use any of it. I, I forgot to bring up in the financials, this movie costs around $19 million. So if you take away that $4 million, everything that you see is basically $15 million. Like, that's pretty impressive to film this whole thing on $15 million, but and I wanted to bring that up. But yeah, I heard all the shots with him and the delay, it put him back like $4 million because of is it. Is he credited? I don't know. I didn't I don't check. Know. I don't think so. I don't though. think so. Even though there might have been some shots of him in it? Yeah, maybe like stunt work, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, considering, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, considering the punch, maybe you list him as like a stunt actor or something, maybe, yeah. or an extra, maybe. Yeah, because I figured you don't want to reshoot some of those. I'm guessing there might be a couple in there like that, yeah. I, I don't know, yeah. But in January of 1985, Fox's co-star and Family Ties returned, which allowed him to play Marty in the movie. Michael J. Fox was just very much attached and fell in love with the character, kind of talking about what we were talking about earlier, skateboarding, chasing girls, playing in bands. He wanted to be a rock star. Uh, he even had pro skaters double him with some of the tricky skateboarding shots, as well as, you know, kind of, I mean, he was 24, 25 at this time, so he kind of have to relearn to skateboard a little bit, so they helped him out. Um, I found two other people that were considered for the role, Johnny Depp and Ralph Macchio. I didn't know Ralph Whoa. was. I heard Johnny Depp was. Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Ralph Macchio sounds like a pretty good choice. Really? He's not the most even, uncoordinated guy of all time, not, even though he's based on <laughs> Karate Kid. I mean, not even going to front. Like, I think Michael J. Fox is a much better actor, like a million times better, but I feel like he might have fit that role. He, he fits the role, kind of. He I kinda, think so, too. Yeah, but I think Michael yeah. J. Fox is a much better actor by yeah. a million miles. Yeah. And, you know, and Michael J. Fox had already had some comedic chops, you know, from Family Ties. So I feel like it was a good, you know, bet to go with him. I don't know how much Ralph Macchio had at the time. But so getting into uh, Doc Brown, John Lithgow was the first choice, but later dropped out of the role. Christopher Lloyd was the next at the suggestion of producer Neil Canton, who had worked with Lloyd previously. Christopher Lloyd initially turned down the role. Yeah, I heard he didn't want it. 
Yeah, he wanted to continue doing like theater acting, right. but after his wife insisted he should never leave any stone unturned, end quote, uh, he read the script, improvising and taking inspiration from famous scientists, which we definitely see in the movie, oh, yeah. Albert Einstein. Weird thing is, you know, Michael J. Fox is only like 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five. Mm. Christopher Lloyd is 6'1". So I was trying to rewatch some of it and you can see it. It's pretty noticeable that he's like kind of leaning or hunching over a lot so that they didn't have as much disparity between the height differences. Um, I never picked up on it before, but there is a, I mean, that's six, seven inches of height difference. It's pretty crazy. James Woods was also considered for Doc Brown too. I don't know if you guys knew that. That would be oh, weird. Wow. I am so thankful that James Wood is not in one of my favorite movies. Um, so <laughs> So George George McFly, um, Crispin Glover was cast. Uh, Interesting dude. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting dude. Yeah, yeah even his character, it's just just a, yeah weird. Um, yeah. I like it. <laughs> he fits it's that. goofy. No, he he yeah, does fit this movie, but uh, Glover and Zemeckis crafted George's characteristics, but he would frequently take the interpretation too far. So Zemeckis just had to constantly rein him in. Like I was watching some interview on YouTube, and it was behind the scenes, and they're talking about it. And Michael J. Fox was saying, yeah, there was like one scene where I'm at George's house and like George just grabs a broom and he wants, he's like, no, you should, you should shoot me while I'm sweeping. Like, I want to sweep and do this. And so Max is like, like, no, like we don't need you sweeping, man. Like we just need to shoot the shot. Like, so he was, a, he was a little goofy. Um, uh, he also said he didn't like the end of the movie. So we were talking about that earlier. Which, um, which I always thought the reason why he wasn't in the sequels was because of money reasons. He wanted the exact same amount as Michael J. Fox. But he's claiming, and this is recently, right, that it came out, that he didn't want it because of what the movie promoted at the very end, which was money gets you happiness when, Corinne, I know you're going to, by your face, you're already going to like go into it. But, but this is what I think is being said now, which I don't know if I agree with. I think that he just didn't get the money back then. Because <laughs> he ended up getting paid, I think, $500,000. If you didn't want to be in the movie, then don't be in the movie. But he wanted his money eventually. I think they said it was better to settle outside of court. And I think he got a half a million, right? I for them so, yeah. using his what quote unquote likeness in the movie is what I read. But yeah, I mean, it's funny that he says that. Like, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but it's just like that first movie really doesn't promote the idea that, you know, money makes you happy. Yeah, what, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, what really happened in the past was that Marty helped his parents kind of find their true selves or allowed them to be themselves finding like, them i think that's the point of the whole movie yeah. finding your true self yeah, yeah, yeah and got then, his confidence and yeah then, like yeah. the the confidence and the you know the embracing of one's insecurities and true talents allowed them to be monetarily successful right like it wasn't the money thing so i think him kind of using that virtuous that virtuous reason you know to say that uh money makes you happy is kind of bullshit it makes him look even shittier right to me it's all about money to him yeah ironically and it's like they lived in the same house yeah like yeah they had a nicer yeah. car lion estates yeah and it was lion like estates. And, and it was cleaner yeah. i guess but i didn't think it was that drastic <laughs> he also got his four by four though yeah and yeah. i think biff the dad was i think biff it. was uh, biff was um cleaning biff was buffing yeah. yeah. biff was buffing, yeah. Yeah. Biff biff was was buffing. <laughs> that's one that's one right there <laughs> yeah, i like fun. that um this is kind of a weird fact, too. I guess uh, Crispin Glover lost his voice during part of the filming, so some of his lines were dubbed in. I think a lot of them were dubbed in, and if you yeah, watch it again, like you can really see. Yeah. yeah no, I, I did hear that, too. He lost his voice from, like, overacting. I, I forget why he lost it. It was something like he was doing stuff prior to this, or... Yeah, it was like some kind of overacting, yeah. which I totally believe reading some of this. Yeah. So to get into Lorraine McFly, which is... Um, Marty McFly's mom, Leah Thompson, was cast for her performance from The Wild Thing. Uh, she was actually acting with Eric Stoltz in this movie. Um, so when they saw her on set, 
you know, Zemeckis and Gil, like when they were trying to cast Eric Stoltz, they kept seeing her and they kept asking about her. So they casted her as Lorraine. And we were talking about this earlier too, in the opening scene of the movie, her makeup took three and a half hours. Now, yeah. I think it looks okay. We'll get to that. I don't know what you guys think, but I thought it looked okay. We'll get to that in time. <laughs> no, that's that too. I, I, I like that. Okay. That all right, all right, all right. That was barely, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, Biff Tannen, originally cast, was J.J. Cohen, but he would later become a member of Biff's gang in the trilogy, Skinhead. But he wasn't imposing enough uh, when uh, Stoltz was playing Marty. So Thomas F. Wilson was later cast. Biff was actually named after a studio executive who was aggressive towards Zemeckis and Gale on an earlier project. Um, it wasn't used cars, it was the other one. And I guess at one point it got physical and this guy pushed Zemeckis over and pushed Gale over and called them anti-Semitic even though Bob Gale is Jewish. It got really weird. Um, but yeah, so they named Biff after this guy. Um, it's kind of weird, I didn't know this. Tim Robbins was also considered for the role. Interesting. I, yeah, I don't know if I would like that. I think this guy Thomas was a great Biff, though. I mean, he's a great villain yeah. of all time. Yeah, he's you know? a great villain yeah. in yeah. this movie. They say he's like the sweetest guy off camera, too. He's like the nicest guy. You could never even picture him being this character, but I, he pulls can, it off really Can well. I bring up something that has nothing to do with the cast of it? But he he's so sick of... I don't, I don't know if he's sick of it. He just he understands, hey, they're always going to refer to me as Biff. So fans, whenever they ask him questions, he hands him a card that has the answer to all the questions he's ever been asked about <laughs> this movie. Like, here, here's all your answers just go you know if you can look it up it's like it's on google like the actual image of it and all that it's pretty it's interesting i actually read i should have had like a copy of it but and at the end does he tell him to make like a tree and leave i think so at the very end of it right yeah probably doesn't have time to answer all the questions i think jason just just came in it's like a half point um just a little quick fact about Biff Tannen and his crew. Uh, Billy Zane is also one of his. I wanted to like bring that one in, but yeah, he does doesn't not, say one word. Yeah, he has his first line in the second movie, but he has no lines in this first one. This is considered Billy Zane's first movie, though. Yeah. And number two, there's also some famous actor whose first movie ever. Do you know what it is, Dom? Elijah Wood. There you go, Elijah Wood. He's one of the. Yeah, he's playing the arcade game in the diner. Damn, nothing gets past you guys. And then the last person I want to talk about is the character of Jennifer. So. I know Mugga already knows this. No, but, no, this is interesting. Go ahead, take um, it. Originally... What, what's her name? Her name is Claudia, right? Am I wrong? Claudia Wells would yeah, be the yeah. first one cast, but she... What, what was the issue with her again? So she accepted the role, mm-hmm. and they wanted Michael J. Fox, but then they got Eric Stoltz, right? And because they got Eric Stoltz, it moved production, and then she had landed a role on a sitcom, I think, so then she couldn't do it. It was like six months she had to go yeah. to the sitcom, yeah. So then they went with another person. See if you guys like this. Um, do you guys know who Melora Hardin is? Yeah, Jan. Yeah, Jan from The Office. From The Office. Yeah. So you guys already know where we're going with this, right? It's almost like you're in the future right now. But she was, you know, talking about Michael J. Fox's height. (laughs) She's a little too tall. How did, I forget, Muggy, you were telling me Claudia Wells came back. How? So I think that once they got rid of Stoltz, right? Yeah. They saw Michael J. Fox and her together, and she was significantly, like, noticeably taller. And they said they couldn't go with her. And then now, at this time, Claudia, I don't know her last name, was Wells. available. And then they brought her back. So okay. it's almost like she got hired, fired, and then hired again for the exact yeah. same part. So to jump into the filming of the movie. So filming took about 100 days and was dubbed the film that would not rap. Fox, yeah. <laughs> Fox was shooting Family Ties during the day and filming Back to the Future at night, only getting about four to five hours of sleep a night at most. 
this is kind of interesting. Weekends would be the only times they could film daylight scenes. That's so anytime there's a daylight, it was on a Saturday is what I was, what I read. Yeah. Yeah. So he was filming family ties till like, like the, nine to six. Mm, yeah, yeah. Nine to six. And then he would go straight over there and film and like sleep in a station wagon. They like kind of built this bed for him. And then on the weekend, so Friday night up until Saturday morning, they would film and get some of the daylight scenes early morning, Saturday. Zemeckis said he was exhausted from all the shooting. He said he was half asleep, fat, and uh, the most out of shape he's ever been because of it. (laughs) So they shot the clock tower in the Lion Estates at the Universal Backlot, which if you guys ever get a chance to go on the tram tour where they show you the backlots, you'll clearly see where these are at. I just did this Friday night. They really, I know obviously the clock tower, but they did the Lion Estates there too. Yeah, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but I've seen it. Okay. I at least I've seen those, like when you see later on when he goes to the back in time to the 50s right. and they just show those uh, little statues. You right. can, I've seen those there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know that. Um, but I don't know where that's at. So they began shooting uh, the 50s scenes where they made the town look really beautiful. And then later on, they would shoot the 85 scenes uh, where they made the city look much more trashed and grungy. Zemeckis and Gale chose the 50s as a setting because it makes sense for the time when Marty's parents would be teenagers. When we look at Doc Brown's house, it was actually shot in Pasadena at the Robert R. Blacker house, Blaker, Blacker house from the inside and the Gamble house, which is one of the owners of Procter & Gamble uh, for the exterior. Uh, the Twin Pines Mall, uh, that's actually shot at the Puente Hills Mall in the city of industry. And Tell me that doesn't look like Inland Center Mall. It does. It does. I, I, I thought for the longest time it was until I did research for this. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I was hoping it was. I was but. like, there goes Robinson's Bay. Yeah, there you go. But um, I, I heard also that the reason why they chose 1955 was because in math, like if Marty's age is the way it is, his parents would have been right then and there. And it also set up the fact that this was a great time for teens and like the, the whole rebellion movement and all that stuff. And that's why they could do a lot with it. Am I just, did you hear that at all or no? No, no, no. I, I read some of that. I read it. So you talk about the rock and roll scene when he's playing Johnny B. Good. I mean, right. the 50s, like when rock and roll started, gets going. Right, and like, right. there's lots of kind of historic stuff with, you know, what Marty goes through yeah. in the 50s. And then the high school in both time periods of 50s and 85 uh, was shot at the Whittier High School in Whittier, California. So it's pretty cool. All this stuff's pretty local to us. Filming wrapped on April 20th, 1985. Uh, the release date was moved back to an August release. But after test screenings went really well, they moved the date up to July 3rd. Editors worked around the clock to get the film ready in time for the early release date. It's kind of weird. One of my favorite scenes during the process, Zemeckis almost cut the Johnny B. Good sequence. But thanks to the early test screenings, the, the responses were amazing. So they decided to leave it in. See, OK, so why why did they move it up to July 3rd? Because I had heard that the, the response that they were seeing from the test screens, but also the trailer is the reason why they decided to push everything up. Yeah, I didn't. The reason why I bring that up, have you guys seen the trailer? It is god awful. It has yeah. nothing to do with the movie. It's so bad. Wow. But I guess they decided to push it up, and so they think they had like nine weeks in post production, right, because of it. Which is you'll uh, is one of my trashes of why something happened because of it. But but I thought it was a trailer also, or is it just test screens they had about the actual movie? I read that it was really off the test screenings that okay. they had because they didn't make it known that there was going to be comedic elements in the movie. Okay. So like people walked in thinking like serious. it could be serious or a horror or anything like that. So I read that some people, when they saw Einstein the dog get into the DeLorean for the first time. And it, and they, it evaporates or whatever yeah, happens. Yeah, they were it, really afraid something was gonna happen to the dog, like he's gonna well, die. Well, back then you don't mess December with dogs, you know, yeah. like, yeah. So they really kept it, you know, close to the vest, like what the movie was about. So There's I think- fun fact about the dog in the DeLorean too. <laughs> oh, there is? 
Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a person, right? Yeah, it's, it's a person yeah. in, it's a in a suit. suit. <laughs> in a dog suit. Oh, see, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, ILM, Industrial Light Magic, did, uh, the th- there's only 32 effects shots, including the time travel sequences and the clock tower scene. So before we get into like the score or anything like that, I kind of wanted to talk about the DeLorean itself. Do you think that's a good choice for the car? Yes. 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 Do you think a car is a good choice? Yes. Because I know what they want to do prior, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the car a lot. Um, I think they thought it kind of looked like a flying saucer, so it kind of played into the whole comic book and stuff like that that they were using in the early, uh, right when Marty gets back to the 50s. Um, it plays into that whole scene really well. I got a question, though. Yeah. Like, what did they want to use prior? Tom, you want to hit this? Oh, the Mustang. No, no, no. No, Mustang wanted to be in it. But prior to that, the script wanted to have a refrigerator as the time oh, machine. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, so that, the refrigerator. Yeah, okay. I thought you were talking about they said, wise. one, it yeah, wouldn't yeah. make any sense because you don't really transport a refrigerator anywhere. So how is this going to work? But they also feared that little kids would try <laughs> locking themselves in a refrigerator. But this is how smart they are because then they end up using this in the new Indiana. Well, not new, but the recent oh, Indiana Jones. Indiana yeah, 4. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kingdom, and they... It's just awful. That movie sucks anyways, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, they wanted to take the refrigerator to the Nevada nuclear test site and somehow with an atomic explosion send Marty back. It was really trippy. But yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that either. Yeah. Um, but they were going to use a Mustang. Or not, yeah. they weren't going to. I think uh, M- Mustang, Mustang wanted to. And then they asked, hey, you know, can we use the Mustang? Because Ford's offering, I think, to pay $75,000 is what I read. And the writers are like, Doc Brand would never drive a Ford Mustang. <laughs> like, yeah. he had to drive a DeLorean, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. I Makes mean, more sense. Yeah, that fridge idea, uh, that doesn't sound very cool. Damn it. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I'm like, Kerwin's got one. Locked and loaded. Tom, he's killing you today. He's killing you. He is. It's kind of a weird choice of the DeLorean because it's not really like a real fast car or a sports car. It looks cool. It only had 130 horsepower. Muggs and I were talking about this earlier. The, sp- the original speedometer in a DeLorean only went to 85 miles per hour. Yeah. So they had to replace it with a, like an aftermarket one that went to 95. So this is where some of my research differed. I read they used three DeLoreans. I read on a website that they did use five with a yeah. sixth one, but if you watch the DVD behind on the actual, it says three. So maybe we should think of what Abraham Lincoln once said about the internet: "Don't read everything, don't believe everything you read on the internet." Because I think that might be wrong. If the DVD is saying they used three, they probably used three, but you know, I don't know. Abe Just Lincoln going back in time with Abe Lincoln. Honestly, no, I can't. I can't count that one up. <laughs> Kermit's shaking his head. Hey, I'm trying on this pun game thing. I just this this is hard. So. <laughs> So, with the three, Delo- I'm going to go off the three DeLorean theory. I, th- I think it's three. It's I'm going to say yeah. three. So, um, one had all the bells and whistles, all the exterior, interior. One was for action, so like when they drive into the barn or whatever like that. And the other one was actually cut up to get the inside shots. Inside shots. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if you guys read something else, but I heard that they started and they cut it in half. And then to get closer shots, they just kept cutting and cutting it and cutting it. And they just really destroyed this third one to get those close-up shots of inside. I don't know why they did it that way, but I feel like you could just... Seems like a weird technique. Yeah. yeah. They just kept I mean, slicing away at it. But you got to look at it this way. Like, maybe cameras back in the 80s Could were be. much larger. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have a lot of the opportunities to do things physically with the hardware like you do now, you know? Yeah. And then this is one thing I thought when I'm, you watch the beginning of this movie. So the DeLorean's sitting in the trailer. And Doc Brown's obviously in it. But, like... How does he get in it? Because the doors open out, like the trailer is only so wide. 
Like, how did he walk up into the trailer and get into it? He has well, the he remote, could, control. Yeah, he control yeah, the remote control. Yeah, I guess he could. Remote control. I guess he could drive it down. Yeah. and do it. Okay, I just thought that was kind of weird. So I don't know how to pronounce his name. Wait a minute, isn't he in the DeLorean when he's backing it? Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess if he used a remote to back it out and then got into it and then drove it up just to reverse it back down for the shot, maybe. <laughs> I just it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> You guys seem like you all figured out something. Like, oh, maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know. Uh, so, hold on. Hold on real quick. So, he comes out of the DeLorean when he backs it out? Yes. Yeah, so Marty so. Marty skates up. Yeah. The 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 trailer the the back of it drops okay. and then the, or the the for the wheels. Anyway, it starts it backs out and then Doc gets out of it. And you get that great shot of the steam and everything coming down. But yeah, he he's in the actual DeLorean. Okay. Maybe well, I'm well, then you just help. then you just need a better script supervisor. Yeah, I just thought it was. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool shot. Don't get me wrong, That's but it just it doesn't. Make I had a lot never of sense. thought about it until right now, but yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Einstein the helped. Trailers are pretty spacious. Einstein helped. I see what yeah. you did there. Yeah. The dog or Albert Einstein or, or Einstein, <laughs> the person in the suit, Einstein. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna butcher this name, but Wes Takahashi of ILM, who also did animation effects on a ton of movies, Top Gun, Goonies, Hook, uh, would go on to do the effects for this movie as well as the rest of the trilogy. Um, He really focused on what they call the time slice sequences as well as the lightning bolt hitting the light tower. So again, this is way before, you know, really good CGI was around. So according to fxguide.com, there's a quote that says, in the days before digital compositing and modern CGI, effects animation was done by meticulous hand-drawn frame-by-frame drawings, which were then optically printed with the live action plates. So I forget what movie we talked about before we did a podcast about it where they had to go back and frame-by-frame. Oh, rotoscoping. Yeah, rotoscoping, Yeah. yeah. So when the DeLorean's, you know, about to hit 88, and all the lights around it, and it's about to go through like, uh, I guess like a wormhole, all those effects, you know, frame by frame, all the glows and the like almost neon kind of lights looking around it. And then as well as at the clock tower scene, Zemeckis and Gail and Spielberg all wanted like a very specific like S type shape lightning bolt to come down and hit the clock tower for the DeLorean to go back and to get that. It just took them a long time. They wanted to get really deep blacks. They wanted specific shapes. So a lot more work than probably have to be done nowadays. So you had a bolt into action? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What just happened? (laughs) Half point for dumb. Um, So to jump into the music, if you guys have anything to add, please do. Uh, Alan Silvestri does a score in the movie. It's great. One of yeah. my treasures. Great yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's also done, again, Forrest Gump, Captain America, First Avenger, Endgame, Ready Player One, tons of movies, tons and tons. He did Ready Player One? I didn't read that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Zemeckis wanted the music to sound big and epic, and I think Alan Silvestri does a great job with that. So the first time we hear the music is when we first see the DeLorean. So that's the, time we, the first time we hear Alan's actual score. We do hear Huey Lewis in the news earlier on. But yeah, that's the first time we see it. And we really see it a lot around the DeLorean. Well, I, I heard the reason why he wanted it to be big is because there's no like scenic or epic shots in this movie. And that's why he said, hey, open it up. Because I think they, what's the movie they did prior to this together that was really good that they got another right? Wasn't there- Oh, the game, Romancing the Stone? It, it wasn't there like epic shots that they had. So they had the yeah. scenic shots. On this one, he said, there's no like scenic shots, you know? So really, I think that they open it up is what they said. And I, I think they nailed it, you know? I mean, the, the music is great. Yeah, I think they kind of focus it around the car. So they yeah. made that car like the big shot. Yeah. And I think it, it does really well. So Huey Lewis in the news. 
was also Alan Silvestri's suggestion uh, and would do the theme song for the movie, The Power of Love. They would also do Back in Time, which is played at the end of the movie. It's kind of funny, though, because The Power of Love does not say Back to the Future anywhere in it. So they had to ask radio stations to mention the association of The Power of Love with the movie um, because it's not mentioned. So every time they would play it, the DJ would say, oh, this is from Back to the Future. Back in Time, like I said, plays at the end when he wakes back up in 1985. So that's a lot about the movie, but I want to talk about a couple of my favorite scenes. And then if you guys have anything to add, please do. So... Uh, I'm going to start right from the beginning. I think the opening clock scene is pretty cool. Treasure. Yeah. You definitely don't know what's going on. It's just but they, like, with no actors, you get a great background right away of the whole movie, right? You know, with yeah. no one. I mean, I guess there's the news anchor on TV, but really, but I, I, it does a great job of setting up the movie. I went on to the Hollywood Reporter. Actually, they have uh, one of the supervisors for the special effects, Kevin Pike, talk about this opening scene. Um uh, the long shot of Doc Brown's workshop didn't just require multiple clocks to be set at the same time. That took around 20 people to do. Wow. So a lot of the clocks, I mean, all the clocks have second hands and yeah. all that. So to get it to tick at the exact moment, they have 20 people just standing around. So all let them go at the same time. If you watch the camera pan around, when we do see the coffee and pan spill and then it comes back, there's no smoke. But when the toast pops up, there is smoke. So there's actually people underneath that scene putting these little smoke pellets into wow. the toaster. So you don't see any smoke because it goes back and then it comes back around and then all of a sudden there's smoke with the, uh, with the toast. So it's not really smoking. It's these little smoke pellets that people are underneath putting in. Uh, and then with the dog food, I guess they tried pouring the dog food out like it does. So they actually built like a dog food pour like they show. Right. But when they were testing it, it wasn't coming out that way. So they actually had to heat the dog food up <laughs> so that it poured out all nasty and shit like that. Did, I, I hate because it's one continuous shot mm. and then it goes down and it cuts to where you notice that Einstein's bowl is being overloaded. And then do you wish that they could have done it to where it was one continuous shot or because it does cut down to his bowl and back to that. I, I don't know. I, I, I wish they could have pulled it off. You was know? it was it a hard cut or did it yeah. just pan down and up? No, no, hard cut. Oh, really? Yeah, hard okay. cut. Yeah. It, that's the one thing I'm like, man, it, it's going, going, going. And they do that real quick and then they go right back to the continuous shot. But I think that's that's like a... But you had to do it. You yeah, know? that's like a trick a lot of directors use. Like they'll go behind like an object yeah. to make it look like it's continuous, but really they'll just use that as a way to cut and yeah. make it look seamless, I guess, maybe. But it, it does show... Because right away, you know, you're finding out plutonium's been gone, you know, what's going on. And then you also see, though, Einstein's bowl is, hasn't been used in a week now, right? You know, yeah. like he's gone. So it's necessary, yeah. but yeah. You get a backstory without much, no dialogue at all. It's like, this guy's an inventor, this, always doing these weird experiments, and they've been gone for a while. So you just yeah, and you a little insight. I don't want to jump ahead a little bit, but also in that scene, there is like, a, I think it's right in the beginning of it, there's a couple newspaper articles that are yeah. up, and it talks about how developers bought the Brown estates, and then it talked about how the mansion burned down. So it's interesting to see that now Doc Brown's living in this garage, you know, next to a Burger King. Um, when he is goes, it a Burger King? It's right next to a yeah. Burger King. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. That so wasn't like, product placement, by the way. Yeah, it wasn't product placement. I don't think they paid Burger King anything. Um, they just allowed them to use this garage that was really close to it. But yeah, and then you go back to 1955, and you know Doc Brown has this huge mansion and stuff like that. So it's weird to see like they kind of keep true to that story and they explain why. I, th I think that's really cool. 
But yeah, about the dog food. Yeah, yeah, they had some guy, one of the people on the cast or whatever, um, with a torch, like heating up this dog food just to make it look like that. So I thought that was weird. So yeah, I, I really like that scene a lot. I like how they incorporate the big speaker. Um, so it kind of gives us a sense of why Marty and Doc have this relationship. So, you know, Marty is a musician. He plays guitar. He went to Doc Brown's, hey, I want something really loud and powerful. And so that's why, you know, they have this relationship because I think without that, we don't know why the hell these two guys are hanging out. Well, I read a theory that Doc Brown hired Marty as like his assistant. And I don't know if that's ever been like proven. Did you guys hear about this? I mean, yeah, I've always wondered how they knew each and other. I, I heard I, that's I've heard that there was, and it doesn't say it at all in the movie. It was just like this theory, like he hired him as his assistant to help him out with things as like a part-time job, job or whatnot, like which, gig, which yeah. will, I'll bring up in my trash or treasure of something that comes down the road because I'm interested about it, but that's what I read, that, that he hired Marty, and that's why he has, bring the video camera, meet me here and all that, because it's like his quote-unquote assistant. See, I didn't, I didn't read that. I just know, I think it says on the side of his van when we get to the DeLorean yeah. scene, like 24-hour scientist for hire or something like yeah. that, so that, may, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, another scene that I like too, do you guys have anything to add to that? I do, one? I do. Yeah. One of the clocks has an actual little guy, guy hanging, hanging off, off of it, it. yeah, Similar and to it's supposed to foreshadow what's going to happen, yeah. but it also is supposed to pay homage to the 1923 film, uh, silent film, actually, Safety Last, yeah, which I have never seen, but I thought that was kind of cool, you know, because I noticed it, I just read about this today, like literally, yeah, but yeah, I thought that see, was kind of cool. kind of see like the whole beginning is like foreshadowing the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they cover a lot of things, like why the plutonium's there and how it was stolen and people know. It's, just, there's it's a great yeah. shot, yeah. man. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, and then another scene I like too is the Johnny B. Good scene. Um, so you can see that Marty McFly's character got a lot of inspiration from like the Who um, when he kicks over the speaker, uh, Robert Townsend, Jimi Hendrix, Mark Campbell was actually the person that sang. So, you know, that's obviously not Michael J. Fox singing. Um, Mark Campbell uh, did the voiceover for him. And I also read that Chuck Berry was holding on to this song for a long time and would not give it to them till the day they shot it, charging them about 50 grand for the song. I'm not really sure why he did that, but he did hold on to the song and finally let them get it at that point. But I think Chuck Berry is, is kind of thought about as like the godfather of rock and roll. So I don't know. I just, I just love how they do this with Marty's character. Like, you know, why did skateboarding get invented? Um, rock and roll. Um, lots of little things like that that they, they kind of plant in there, which is pretty cool. But do you guys have any scenes you'd want to talk um, about? To add to that scene, um, in high school, I actually took a music history class and they went over the scale that Marty did. So it goes based off all the genres of music that have gone from like the 50s to the 80s. So I thought that was kind of cool. Interesting. I, I got one, I don't have like it's a scene, but I got one other like interesting fact. I, have you put this together? Who is the mayor when he goes back to 1955? You know what I'm talking about? Uh -huh. It's red. It's red, yeah. So there's the guy that's, when he goes back from 1955 at the end of the movie to 85, He's right? The there's man. the bone. Yeah, I, I had never put that together. Yeah. Did you, you guys did? Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. Because yeah, I didn't, I was like, holy crap. And it's supposed to like show, hey, Stuff has changed. You know what I mean? I think it just really sets like everything up. Okay, you know? I'm totally off on this. Okay, so the guy on the bench. The very end of the movie, yeah, yeah. when he when goes he, back goes, to 985, back to 85, you hear the, the electricity and all the wind, and then there's a bum on the, the bench around says, newspapers. Oh, drunk, drunk driver, yeah. That's yeah. the mayor. From in 1955. Ah, And it yeah. shows that like, hey, stuff has changed, okay, you know? Got you. Yeah. yeah. 
I thought that was really interesting. Wasn't, wasn't the actor like part of that? Like there wasn't in the nineteen eighty five. Like there was a porno showing at like the old yes. theater, and then he's it's the a, like actual XXX actor in there. like yeah. parody or whatever yeah. it was. And it shows it uh, before he goes back in time, and I think it shows it like when he arrives. But the camera focuses on, on that. that title, huh? Why I don't know. I have one other in- the ending. So I guess if you were to watch this movie in theaters. When it says where we're going, we don't need roads, and he leaves, it never said to be continued, but it got such a great response from everyone that they knew. So on the VHS release, not the DVD or anything like that, they actually put this in as like to be continued. And they actually like, hey, we got to like go more in depth with this because that's what the fans want. I also read something that, you know how they have Jennifer in the car, the DeLorean? If they had known how big this was and they were going to make, they wouldn't have ever put her in the car. Because I guess, notice at the beginning of Back to the Future 2, they quickly get rid of her character. They put that thing on her and they put her to sleep. Now they have her back. in. The, but yeah, they said if we would have known, it was like a hassle trying to incorporate Marty and Doc's character in the future with her there. So we quickly took her out. But if they had known the success and they were going to make sequels, they would have never put her in the car. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, because I think they really want the movie to be about Marty and Doc. Oh, yeah. It's Dennis, not about so. Jennifer, you know. Yeah. So well, it is. The second one is about their kids. So. Well, yeah. Yeah. She does have a decent role in that, too, compared to this first one. But So I'm just going to run through some fun facts. If you guys have stuff you want to add to, and then we'll jump into our experiences. So I like Huey Lewis in the news, and I love that in the Battle of the Bands competition in the beginning of the movie the real Huey Lewis is the one on the megaphone evaluating Marty McFly. I thought that was super cool. The only reason the car has to go to 88 to get back in time is because Zemeckis and Gale thought it looked cool. Fans have analyzed the shit out of this though. (laughs) They have looked at how many milliseconds the wormholes open, how long the car is, how long it would take to get up to eight. They have just pulled this thing, taken this thing apart and put it back together again to come up with all these theories. But literally the only reason is because they thought it looked cool. I heard it was also just an easy number to memorize. Yeah. Like 88. That's why yeah. they did it. Well, you could, they had that weird like tachometer thing too. And they just thought 88 looked really cool on that. Well, I mean, 1988 is the best year. So were um, you born that year? Maybe. Maybe. I, I have one thing about the, the 88. Fans have actually taken, not a DeLorean, but some cars. I think one of them was a Volkswagen Beetle um, and tried to test this at that. The La Puente Hills model? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they said it's impossible. You cannot get up to 88 <laughs> miles per hour. I mean, also, like, we'll get into this later, but maybe during Trash or Treasure, but it's just like, it takes a long time for these fools to get to 88. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what the exact distance they're traveling is. But, but it like, was a DeLorean souped up by Doc Brown. I mean, with the flux capacitor, yeah. we don't know horsepower. We don't know what it does. Yeah, you it's know? just like 88 doesn't take that long. Like yeah. once you get to 60, getting to 88 is pretty easy. Yeah. Like, um, Doc's brown dog was originally going to be a chimpanzee like we talked about. Uh, Ronald Reagan loved this movie so much that in his state of the, the 1986 State of the Union address, he said, uh, where we are going, we don't need roads. I thought that was really cool. Well, I guess there was a part where uh, they said that, like, oh, Ronald Reagan, the actor, he's president. I guess Ronald Reagan saw a screening of this, and he loved the joke so much that he asked the projectionist to rewind that part so he could hear that joke again. Yeah, I, I think I read about that too. I think they actually had to show it to him because they mentioned him like that. So they had to show it to him while he was in office, obviously. And But he like was told, like they were nervous that he wouldn't like that, but he was like totally all about it. Like he really loved it. I heard he even requested a copy of it for the White House because yeah. of this. Yeah. There's a copy of this in the White House because of that situation. I believe it, man. It's probably on VHS, but yeah. <laughs> 
again, we talked about the, the DeLorean going to be like some kind of chamber or time traveling fridge. Um, and they would need an atomic explosion for Marty to come back. But again, they use that in Crystal Skull. Original title for the movie was going to be oh, Spaceman from Pluto. Uh, did so, you hear how they got out of it? Well, yeah. So there was an executive, uh, Sid or Sidney Scheinberg, um, that suggested to Zemeckis that no one would go see a movie with the word future in the title. Zemeckis was like kind of freaking out. So he went to Spielberg for support. And Spielberg wrote uh, Scheinberg a memo telling him his title was a joke, pretty much embarrassed him to shit, and so Scheinberg dropped it. But Scheinberg also did suggest, hey, and there was another name they are going to call Doc Brown. They decided to call Doc no, Brown. No, they were going to call Professor Brown. Professor I think yeah. he, there's yeah. a lot of changes in the movie. One also being it was going to be a chimpanzee, and he went to a dog, right, yeah. and other things. So they did, but yeah, his title was god-awful. Oh, Can you imagine what it would have been called? What was it going to be Space called? Spaceman from Pluto. Spaceman from Pluto. the comic, right? Yeah, so I think yeah. the comic was like zombies from Pluto. And I yeah. think, yeah, the kid at the Lone Pine Estates or Twin Pine Estates, wherever they're at, when he goes back in 1950, the, the barn, kid at the yeah. barn, yeah, he has a comic book. But yeah, Scheinberg had like, they were going to call Lorraine Meg. He suggested yeah. Lorraine. Yeah, I think there was a couple names. Mm-hmm. I, I read Meg. I think I read Eileen as well. Um, but they just pretty much, you know, Spielberg wrote back to him and said, oh, I, I like your joke of a memo. Just kind of embarrassed him, so he dropped it. I know we saw a lot of things like, the Twin Pines Mall. Everyone and, knows about that. Yeah, yeah, so after Marty runs over, it's Lone Pine. And then I couldn't find a lot about this, but the flux capacitor, I read that they just like made this thing up. They went to an animator and he's like, can you make something that looks cool? And so he had drawn a box with a triangle and an upside down Y and thought it'd be cool if it lit up. But I, I don't, there's terminology in science about flux and capacitors, but there's did you guys know anything about the flux capacitor? I think it's just something made up for this movie, but it's pretty iconic because you can buy all kinds of stuff still that's flux capacitor. But yeah. do you guys have anything that fun facts about the movie? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Like I love this movie, but this is the one franchise I have zero facts about. To prep for this episode, I listened to a podcast called bad science and they were talking about the science behind this movie. And they were just saying how, you know, when Einstein in the first scene, he goes into the DeLorean and then he comes back and it's cold they're basically saying that wouldn't happen, that the DeLorean wouldn't be frozen because scientifically speaking, space isn't cold or something like that. So I thought that was pretty interesting and that plutonium is like a solid substance, that it's not a liquid that you would put in. So that's just all. Wait, Wait space so isn't cold? Space isn't cold? Yeah, that's yeah, what the scientists said. They said you going into the fe- like going into space like that, it wouldn't be cold. Wouldn't you freeze over them? Hey, this is what the podcast said. Yeah, because <laughs> space... But yeah. I, I think... You're talking about the whole concept of they're traveling through time, not space. So therefore, you can travel through time. So Einstein goes a minute into the future, but notice when he comes in, he's in the exact same place that he left. So you can't travel distance. You can only travel through time. Is that kind of where you're going? Yes. I I think that's where she's going with it. So I guess the thing is like traveling through time wouldn't make you cold? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, because space is cold as shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just didn't, I just wasn't sure what they were getting at. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. But they but they said space specifically. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So you can't travel distance. So that makes sense when he transports. That's why when he, he like when, when he when Einstein goes, he's in the exact same spot where he left. Yeah. And then he comes through, right? When Marty McFly goes back in time, he's in a barn. He's right there in the the pine tree farm is what yeah, it was. Yeah, the farm, right? and it's right then and no there. Frozen. And he he, he yeah, goes over a pine on. tree. Now it's Lone Pine Mall, you know. But yeah. You can't travel distance. Like, you couldn't come out somewhere in, like, Florida or whatnot, you know, but but that's how that works, yeah. Who would want to go to Florida? 
I, I just threw it out there. I also, another fun fact, uh, you know, when Marty crashes into the barn, Old Man Peabody's barn, if you notice, like, the Old Man Peabody's kids, one of the girls, she looks like she's about 25, like the daughter. <laughs> and I've always camera. thought that was funny. And, she, and and the car's facing the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, Another fun fact, though, when Marty travels back in time and they have one of the guys that's at the dinner table. Do you recognize that actor? It's one of the kids in 1955. Yeah. He's the brother on The Wonder Years. Yeah. The Wonder Years. Yeah. 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 I thought that was kind of cool. The one that's like, what's a rerun? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also. um, This just came out. Also. Yeah. Also. Um. When Einstein goes back, or when they when they do the time travel with Einstein in the beginning, his clock reads 121, and it takes 1.21 gigawatts, or gigawatts, however you want to. Gigawatts. So, you want to bring that up, too? Did you hear about that? Yeah, it was like some scientist. Got the name wrong. Yeah. That they talked to when it's supposed to be gigawatts, right? Yeah. yeah. So the whole movie, they're saying it incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like GIF and GIF. It's yeah, kind of, yeah, it's exactly like that. Like yeah. that yeah. Yeah. Way to tie in graphic design there. gif watts so that, that's all I have for she like a pun for that. She gets, she gets a pun for that. All right, that's my sister. She gets one. Michelle's on the board. So I think it's time for experience now. It's time for experience. <laughs> it doesn't. God, way to go, Jason. I didn't mean to do that either. All yeah. right, hey, you know what, Jason? Here, I'm not worried about the future of this podcast. <laughs> oh God, he's killing us. He's killing us. I had eight. Look. It's warriors versus anyone. <laughs> Yo, I had a lot more puns earlier, but I was like, I'm just keep my mouth no, shut. No, bring it. Come on, we want to hear nah, it. Nah, man. I, I, hear it. I just wanted you guys to shine. That's it. All right. All right. So, Jason, you want to take us to experience? All right. So, we'll start with you, Muggs. What was your experience watching I, the I'm movie? I'm afraid to tell you this because I think you're going to judge me. Yeah. I uh, Judged. Sentenced. And that was my experience. <laughs> like, right. So I, I was born in 1982. Thank God TJ's here because he'll make fun of my age. But um, yeah, I was not at all at a capacity to like understand this movie when it came out, whatnot, in 85. And then in, I remember in 89 when number two came out, right? Mm-hmm. I was a kid. Now I'm starting to watch movies, you know, like who didn't want a hoverboard, all that all we ever watched was that one scene, you know, where there was the hoverboard and all that stuff, because that movie gets complex way too far. So I had never fully watched any of these movies, you know, and the number three was what, what it was. But I remember after college or like towards the end, of, I forget what it was, but it was like a Saturday, you know, you hung over, you know, and, and number two was on TV. And I just, hey, it was on by myself before cell phones were going. It was like 2004 or five. And I like literally like fully dialed into this movie. And it was so great. Now I didn't have them on DVD or whatnot. So I was like, this is the greatest movie ever, which is why I think number two is my favorite amongst other factors. But when I went to my friend's house and he had the whole collection, he goes, hey, what Back to the Future do you want to watch? Because we had like pizza and all that. I was like, put on number three. He goes, why the hell would you want to watch number three? <laughs> I go, because I just watched number two and it says to be continued. And he goes, you've never seen number one said no he goes you're a fucking idiot is what he kind of called me so then I had to watch number one right then and there and then I realized okay this is like the greatest thing also you know but my first experience was at my friend Bob's house yeah that that he made me watch it in that order so I I technically watched number two before I watched number one which is kind of wrong on a lot of levels but I still love it you know and immediately after that I went out and bought the entire trilogy because I had to have it on my own but yeah that was my experience Okay, um, I'll do mine last. So, Kerwin, how, what was your experience watching the movie? All right, so I I have no idea when I first watched Back to the Future, but I do know I do know I watched it on TV at a relatively young age. I know it's my sister's favorite movie, but 
I love Back to the Future Part 1, love Back to the Future Part 2. To this day, at age 30, I have never seen Back to the Future Part 3. You don't need to. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I would recommend watching it. And it's because of (laughs) opinions like these guys (laughs) (laughs) that I have not watched Part 3 because, you know, I'm afraid that it's going to ruin it for me. You know what I'm saying? It will. And Jason shaking his head. I don't think it'll ruin it. I agree with Jason. No, but that's the thing. It's just like, uh, for whatever reason, like, you you go on like USA, TBS, and those channels for some reason have every franchise on deck for whatever reason. Surprisingly, number three has a better Rotten Tomato score than number two. Number two is the worst out of all three of them. Really? Wow. That's what yeah. I read today, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. I, I, I was surprised. Number one's the highest, three's the second, and number two's the worst. Yeah, so the reason I've never watched part three is A, because of that, because yeah. I've heard people have differing opinions on it, but also like TBS, USA, TNC, or whatever, they would show part one, they would show part two right after, and then they show like the, the mummy, the, yeah, the mummy, yeah. And then and then it's just like it's the same thing with RoboCop. They show RoboCop one, RoboCop two, and then they show like the NBA playoffs or some yeah. shit right after. And so like I never saw part three because I never owned the movies as a kid, and because like network television never showed part three, so I didn't even know there was a part three until I was in high school. I, I never knew there was a part three until there was in high school. I always knew there was a to be continued, but I just figured like, oh, they must not have made a lot of money on this one, so they just canceled yeah. it. So I love part one, love part two. Haven't seen part three, but yeah, I, I love the franchise. It's not, I'm not as big on it as like Star Wars, etc. Like I don't know a lot about it, but yeah, I, I dug the movie when I was a kid, and to this day, every time I watch it, I love it. Okay, uh, Michelle, what's your experience with the movie? Uh, growing up, it was always on TBS or TNT. So I first saw the second movie and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I remember, I think when I was about 10, I got the trilogy on DVD as a present. So I was pretty hyped on that. And then that's the trilogy I have now. The one that you asked about. So you're like yesterday. me. You watched two first. Huh? Yeah, I saw two yeah. first and I was like, this is pretty interesting. You did not and get then, that DVD at 10 years old. Yeah, I did. No. I was not a teenager. No, no, no. I bought that shit for you when you were in high school. No, you did not. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, we were not did at that not. house anymore. Did. But we could talk about that. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so I definitely <laughs> got it when I was that? a child Shots and not fired. a teenager. <laughs> I did not. Yeah, so I got that and it was pretty cool. So then I went back, watched the first one, always just left the third one in the dust, like, oh, that could just collect dust. Then finally it was like, oh, this is pretty interesting, a Western one, but still, it's a good, I would say watch that, but it's always been one of my favorite movies. I go to like Back to the Future fan meetups. I've been to those before. I have a hoverboard. And do a holographic really? hat. Do they do I have that a Back the... to the Future tattoo. You gotta get the holographic hat, right? Yeah, you I have, have that. that one. No, I don't have them. Do they do that at the cantina bar we went to? or uh, Scum and Villainy? No. Oh, they okay. do. They have had an event at the house, the Doc the Oh, mansion. the actual house. So yeah. they did that last year, and they do meetups where like Christopher Lloyd will go up there sometimes, and they have, I follow a Facebook group that's like Back to the Future Fanatics where they do meetups. So oh, it's pretty cool. That's cool. I, I think for the end scene in three, you kind of have to watch it. I think that's a pretty good scene. Yeah, you're right. It, yeah. If you invested in the franchise, you have to watch. ZZ that Top's movie. in it too. You got to watch it, man. All right, Dom, what's your experience with the movie? I like how you just really <laughs> casually went that way, but all right. Uh, my experience is probably similar to Kern's. I don't know exactly when I watched it. It's, I just know I watched it growing up as a kid, and I remember seeing one and two, but three I didn't see until like later in my teens or early twenties. But I remember loving both of them. Just yeah. keep it short and simple. Okay. So from my experience, um, again, I don't remember exactly when I watched this, but I also watched number two first. 
So I remember seeing number two first. It goes off of our, our birth date, right? I mean, basically, the reason why we're all watching that first is because when we were born, right? I know you're going to like look at me like I'm the old ass, but I'm just saying, <laughs> fuck you guys. Dad? Okay? Make, make like a tree and leave right now, you know? Well, you were Marty's age when this movie came out. So Ooh. No. Well, no, because no, because that's different for me because I saw part one first. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I watched two first because it was also it was on TV. So I watched two first, and then um, I think I told my dad or my mom that I really liked this, and they enjoyed the movie too. So like, you have to see number one because they really liked number one a lot. It's kind of like Rocky. I liked Rocky four a lot, but they're really hardcore on number one. They really liked the original, and with this one too, I I think over time because I I own the DVD set as well. Although I opened it up and the only DVD in it is number three, so I'm kind of disappointed that I lost <laughs> one and two. Yeah, kind of pissed. They're all on my phone. I, ha- I have them on through uh, iTunes or something, but I don't have the physical DVDs anymore except for three. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I watched number one, and I, I think over the years I've really come to appreciate it a lot more. At first, I, w- I was so sold on the future aspect of number two that I didn't really give one the, its due. As a kid, yeah. it was like the coolest thing. Oh, yeah, of Like course. the hoverboard, who did not want a hoverboard? Oh, of course, man. And yeah. I think with this one, especially because like number two goes back so much into the 50s too, like it's cool to see the actual movie and how it played out. And I, I've grown to like it a lot. So, um, but yeah, I don't remember exactly when I watched, but that's my experience with the movie. Okay, so let's get into trash and treasure. So, Mug, start us off with your trash. <laughs> my first thing is the hand special effects. You know, when that, but I, I'm starting off with this because I heard the hand where he's playing Johnny B. Good and all that. It really looks cheesy, but from what I read today, literally today, because they bumped up production so fast, they had to rush a lot of the post-production, not production, sorry, the release date. They had to rush a lot of the post-production stuff, and that's why Zemeckis was not happy with the way the hand looked, because I'm not either. I think it looks really cheesy, where his hand's kind of, but I heard that's the reason why. They just had to rush through things financially, time, they couldn't get it done. So I wanted to start with that, because now I'm gonna like eliminate it from my trash, because that was on there, you know? So it's not really my trash. What I'm gonna get into my actual trash is the makeup on that first house scene. I, I, I don't, I know you're shaking your head, but I think the way Crispin Gover looks, um, Leah Thompson and Biff's character. I don't, I don't know. I don't like it, especially Leah Thompson's character. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it at all. Like you think it looks good. I think it portrays people that like had a rough life, pretty hardcore boozers. And like, they've just had a, they've had a tough life. I think they do a good job. Cause then you see them obviously in the fifties and they look obviously how they look, but it was trash. Um, and they said it was challenging <laughs> for them, but it was trash. Um, but I, and I, I, I didn't want to go first. I want to see if you, the laugh by Crispin oh Glover's. Oh I, hate, I love it. Uh, 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 and he does it multiple <laughs> times. I, I can't, I still to this day don't understand. Like, I think Tommy Wiseau is better acting at that part, you know, in the room. Because it's so, like, god awful. Um, another thing that I really don't like is you can clearly see some of the voice overwork, you know, that they had done. I get it. There was kind of a low budget film, I guess, for what it was, or they said that there was parts where the weather affected it and all that. But I think you can clearly see the voiceover. I, I don't like the Lion Estate little monuments in front of the streets. Did you guys like those? It looks like they're just like here, placed right here. Like when they're first making them? Yeah. I don't, not in the 55, in, oh, like in the 80, 85 yeah. era. I don't know. They just look so out of place and awkward. Like for that neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So those are just little nitpicky things. Uh, the trailer, I think, is stupid. If you guys have watched a trailer, it's on. It, it's, it has nothing to do with the movie. It's awful. Um, here's my 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 big trash of all time, and see if I'm being a dick about this or whatnot. 
this movie is all about time travel, time, 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 right? The minute that Einstein leaves us, right, in the DeLorean, if you time it, okay, it takes him supposedly a minute to get back, right? I think they missed a perfect opportunity. No, if you time it when he leaves on a stopwatch, it's a minute, 21 seconds. And I'm like, how is that possible? He's gone for a minute. And then movie time, it's a minute 21. And I'm like, that's just, I don't know. I feel like if they would have made an exact minute or under a minute, I would have been fine. I, I don't, I don't I like it. I think that's awesome. It's a minute 21. That's awesome. No, but like, that's well, awesome tw- because it's 1.21 gigawatts, right? I, I don't know. I don't like that. I you know, know where you're going with but that. You don't I don't think, like it. But you don't think that was on purpose? <laughs> I don't know. If it is, then it's a little different. I just, I wish it would have been exactly one minute. It has to be on purpose. There's no but, way. But why does 121, you feel is awesome when that doesn't make really no, any sense. The, you're sending him to the future a minute faster. Why is it one okay. minute and 21 seconds? One for the amount of dialogue that you have to place in there. And, and we'll, But I think well, you could have cut something out. And we'll move on from that. Yeah. One for the dialogue that needs to be in there. But also, it's kind of self-referential to the 1.21 gigawatts. Now, if like, you know, kind of Jason was agreeing with me with, like, if that was the intent for it to match the 1.21. Do you think it is? I would hope so. Otherwise, they don't know math. Maybe I that's the speed in which they I, I go. I don't know. I, I think that if they if they could have made it a minute exactly, like I would have like loved it more than anything. But, but they did twenty one sec. I mean, that it makes no sense now. But there's no way that's not a coincidence. One point two one, and then it might one be minute, because they seconds. also did another one where Marty meets Doc at the very end by the clock tower at nine fifty six. It's supposed to be struck at 10.04, right? Which is eight minutes. The movie time length in that with editing is nine and a half minutes. So they messed up on that one too. Is that a coincidence or? Oh my God. I'm really? just saying, <laughs> I, you, you're talking about a movie about time. Like I'm just saying like they had I, a great opportunity. If you do these things exactly like that, I'm like, holy shit, this okay, is great. Mugs, but, mugs, I don't have time for this. <laughs> that doesn't count. That doesn't <laughs> count. But, but that, that's one of my biggest traps. I, I think if they could have done Einstein Lee, I, I totally disagree with you guys on the 121. I think that that's just the biggest coincidence of all time. You Your know? trash is trash, man. <laughs> no, no, no yeah, whatever. Because he's leaving for one minute. Maybe they could have rearranged it to where Doc says, I'm sending him one minute and 21 seconds into the future because the 120, then I'm on board. But he said one minute and on the stopwatches, this one, no, it's, it's, it's a minute and 21 seconds. Right. And sixty fourths of a second on top of that, but I'm not even going to bring that up. But yeah, yeah. that's my that's it, my trash. I gotta I gotta insert the Tony. You Stark peeled comment. back a lot of layers on that. Yeah, um, my treasures though. Getting into it, I I think, and I'll, I'll just go through this briefly because I know you guys will have things that put on top of that. I think the script in general is just great. Like it's well thought out. They have so many little Easter eggs, all that stuff. Um, the whole time travel, like part of it. Um, I love the back lot on universal. Um, I never actually got to see it. I even done two tours in the back lot. It's not, is it still really there? The Lion Estate stuff? No, the the actual time clock area and all that stuff. It's not I right. I thought it got burned down. I didn't see it when I I literally just went there two days ago and it wasn't on the tour. No, when you and I were like little kids, yeah. it was there before yeah. the fires. Yeah, before the fires. Yeah. yeah, so I know there's been a fire, but yeah, so I never got to see it. I never never got to ride the ride at Universal and all that. But um, I love the whole hey. There it is right there. And then they tore it down. Then they did the 1985 part. I thought that was cool. The music is great. We kind of did that. The opening up on that. Um, Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. I think that casting was great. But one of my biggest treasures of this movie, I just think the opening scene, I don't know. I love it for what it is. It just really sets the tone for the movie. And uh, it's just one, it's kind of one continuous shot. But 
I never get sick of that. I don't know. I, I really, I really enjoyed that. And there's a lot of other things, but I'm sure you guys will touch on, but I just want to like kind of graze over that. But yeah, that's my treasures on this movie. Okay. So Kerwin, what's your trash and treasure? All right, so my trash, I gotta, I gotta agree with Muggs. Like, I think the makeup on uh, mom and dad looks terrible. Um, you can clearly see that she is a much more attractive woman underneath the makeup, and that goes to show how bad the makeup is if they're trying to make her look disheveled and unattractive. Like, you can see the lines that kind of separate the makeup from the actual skin of the actress. So I thought that was a, a bad look on on that part. Um, I wasn't feeling it. Strickland, the principal or whatever, the hall monitor. You see to. Top I was going to bring this up yeah, too. Yeah, yo, that motherfucker looks like a greasy nutsack. Like I, and he does not age from 55 to 85. Does, does not age. Does not age a single day. It's greasy terrible. nutsack? Um, the lady asking for change to save the clock tower. This is this is a personal story. This is a personal story. But you know how Marty has to give her change to like go away? It reminds me of the time I took my homie Dominic, not you Dominic, but my other friend Dominic. He'd never been to a strip club before. So we're at a party and randomly out of nowhere, he's just like, yo, I've never been to a strip club. I feel like I'm wasting my 20s, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yo, you're 21, but I'll take you. So we left the party and I drove him to Spearmint Rhino. <laughs> Because it was the only one open at like 1 a.m. And uh, I drove him to Spearman Rhino. He's super drunk. And uh, this one stripper starts harassing him because he's sitting at the stage and he's not throwing money. When you sit at the stage, you, you have to throw, throw money. money. She's like berating him, trying to call people to come over here to remove him. So I remember throwing like maybe like $50 at her and telling her to fuck off essentially. Because she was being pretty rude to my boy, and I was pretty mad about that. That and reminds you of the clock tower lady. <laughs> no, because you're in her place because of work. because she's harassing him essentially, like save the clock tower with her like her like uh, Morton Salt Girl <laughs> can. Horrible. Yeah, she has her Morton Salt Girl can all save up in his face, and he has to like put in money for her to go away. And the only thing I could think of was that time I took Dominic to the strip club, different Dominic. And I had to literally throw money at a stripper so she would stop harassing my friend. Not wow. not not that it was wow. just like not that Cut she was all this. she wasn't mad, but it's just like she was literally trying to call security on my friend because he had never been to a strip club before and he had no idea what to do. And I was just like, I'm just gonna give you money so you just don't call security over here. Like yeah. I just wanna give you all money right. so you do that. That might be one of my favorite trashes ever. I yeah. like that. I like that one. But um so I'm kinda mad you didn't take okay. me. Okay. I didn't know you back then. Arch. All right. So clearly the police don't patrol at night in Hill Valley because no. at the mall, like at the mall of all places where people can break in and steal valuable stuff, like nobody's going to notice that this guy is driving a car at 88 miles per hour and there's flames and all that other stuff. Nobody notices this. Um, I thought that was kind of weird. I wish the person that got to do Michael J. Fox's singing kind of matched his physicality. I agree. I felt like uh, the voice was much too deep and much too gruff. I'm like a 45-year-old, huh? Yeah, yeah, it felt like an older person. Yeah. Like I would Which been, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I, I would have been more satisfied if it was somebody who was in their 20s or whatever. Even if it sounded more boyish, it would have matched the, the character. <laughs> when... When Marty leaves and uh, Lorraine is kind of like, oh, Marty, that sounds like a nice name for a child, right? It's like, it's so nice that you name your third child Marty. Like, you name your third child Marty. That's how much of an impact you had. I feel like Is the daughter under Marty or? 
No, Marty's, Marty's the youngest. The youngest. Oh, the youngest. I didn't know yeah, that. so it's just like I, I wish they would have made it so that Marty's the oldest. Yeah. Because of the impact that he had on their lives, or maybe when he gets back to the future, he is the oldest. He went from being the youngest to the oldest. That would have been exciting. that would have been a cool thing to see. And then, uh, all right. So one of my other things is like Doc constantly says that you should know about the future, but at one point in the movie, Marty walks in on him watching the video of when he literally dies. But Doc always says you shouldn't know about the future. So I thought that was kind of contradictory thinking. When Lorraine and George get older, they don't ever notice that their kid looks just like Marty. You don't think they ever notice? There's there's something I'll bring up at the very end, but yeah. Yeah, go ahead, of course. Um, And then when Doc shows up and says, oh, we have to go to the future, Marty. We have to go to the future. Blah, blah, blah. The problem is in the future. You don't have to go right away. You can chill for a little bit. Let them go on their date. Go or next, fix it right then and there. Yeah, or no. <laughs> don't do this. Yeah, or go next week. Like, you don't have to worry about the future. If the problem exists in the future, let them chill. Worry about it tomorrow because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Like, worry about that. And then my last one is um, Doc says, where we're going, we don't need roads. As somebody who's lived through 2015, I can tell you that's not true. And, and that's pretty much it. Hey, hey, did yeah. it do? What are your treasures? Uh, yeah, uh, my treasures for this movie, the opening scene, like you guys kind of mentioned before, I think it's a perfect character introduction without ever showing a character. Uh, you know, the amount of clocks, uh, the Rube Goldberg machine that you see that's used to feed Einstein, the fact that Einstein is missing and has uh, previously dropped food in his plate, uh, in his dish from before. Um, really shows you how neurotic and eccentric Doc Brown is. And then you see the intro of uh, Marty with the door opening. He's uh, He has a skateboard. He shoves it aside with his backpack. And you, it hits the plutonium. It hits the yeah. plutonium. But one of the things that you, you notice is like you automatically notice that these characters have a deep relationship because it shows Marty dropped the key and kicked the mat over. And what does that tell you? When you go somewhere and you know that there's a key under the mat, that means you're pretty tight with somebody, right? So I love that they establish all in the first couple minutes of the movie without even showing faces that Marty has a very close relationship with Doc Brown. Like you see the key go under the mat, he rides in, he kicks his skateboard over to the plutonium, and it tells you everything you need to know about these two characters. Like Doc Brown's mind is always racing, Marty's just kind of the cool kid walks in he's on a skateboard he's got his Nikes etc but their relationship is bridged specifically with the key being under the mat and I think that's a a great way to show that there's trust they have a life experience together there's a deep bond between them and I and I love that which is weird because it's like totally two people that I guess shouldn't be like hanging out on a Friday night, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then um, on top of that, this movie does exposition and uh, character development so well and foreshadowing. I'm not going to get into all the examples that I wrote down, but I think this movie is a master of foreshadowing exposition and doing it in a way that feels organic to the movie. So it makes you know as a viewer, like, oh, I remember this part. They set up so much stuff that pays off towards the middle and end of the movie that it's it's perfect in every single way. Shout out to November 5th. I was born on November 5th. The, the, the movie's, uh, <laughs> speaking of that, the movie's uh, Back to the Future 2 release date was on my birthday. Which was? Not my- November 22nd, but 1989, not when I was actually born, but just, yeah. Hey, throw that November. Out there. November. November. We, we already have that. We got this shit. We got this shit. Never seen Back to the Future 3, hoping it's the same. 
But uh, there's a ton of product placement, but it never takes me out of the movie. It actually adds to the realism of the movie. I feel like when you see known brands in a film, it can take you out of it. But I feel like that only adds to the believability of this movie. And, and I do appreciate that. One thing I noticed is that this movie, everything about this movie involves cars. Everything about this movie involves cars. So Marty gets to school by hanging onto cars. Marty sees a Toyota 4x4 when he's talking to Jennifer. Incidentally, there's a Toyota ad at the beginning of the movie on the radio or through audio. Marty gets home and his dad's car is wrecked by Biff. Uh, Marty's mom and dad met because his grandpa hit his dad with the car. And when he gets to 1955, he's also hit by that same car. The time machine they use is literally a car. Doc Brown uses an RC car controller to control the DeLorean. And George finally gains his self-confidence and changes as a person by protecting Lorraine after she's assaulted by Biff in a car. So I feel like cars play a huge role in this movie. Uh, Once again, time travel movies are great when you have somebody that believes the person is from the future. I don't think this movie works unless Doc Brown knows Marty is from the future. So I love that part. The jokes never go out of style. They're not repetitive, even though they make a ton of time jokes. Like, oh, Lorraine, I hope when you have a kid, he never ends up like this guy, even though that is the son. So it never feels corny or cheesy. I love that Marty has to learn about his parents by going back in time and truly learning about them. He kind of feels disillusioned with the idea of family and doesn't really have a great opinion of his parents when you first meet them at the beginning of the movie when he goes home after being at school. And I feel like this movie does a really great job of him getting to learn more about his parents and why they are the, why they ended up the way they did. And I love the fact that he got to change them and also learn about himself. When he asked his dad, like, I didn't know you did anything creative. Hearing about his dad's own issues with rejection, he learns to kind of deal with his own ideas of rejection, him not being able to play a battle of the bands, etc. And then uh, the other thing, too, is like uh, this movie does a great job at portraying time travel uh, as it relates to kind of bigotry and ignorance. You see women assaulted publicly. Nobody does anything about it. They just think it's cool. You see uh, the racism. Like at one point, one of Biff's friends calls the band like spooks. Spook is a racist term for black right. people. So like when I say things. And, and a reefer people, addict. Yeah. And people, a reefer addict. Yeah. Reefer addicts. Like when people think I'm joking about like, yo, I'm black. I'm not traveling back in time this is what i'm talking about i say that all the time yeah it's just like going back yeah if you ask me to go back in time i ain't going past anywhere past the 80s like period and that's and that's just it so i thought i thought this movie did a great job of kind of portraying how society has evolved they make a mention about you know never having a colored mayor so i thought that was a good way to portray all that stuff but i love this movie um one of my favorite jokes is when marty's talking about being erased from existence or Doc is talking about being a race term resistance as far as Marty's concerned. And Marty goes, wow, that's really heavy. And then Doc is just like, weight has nothing to do with it. <laughs> and then he says it again. He's like, is heavy, something wrong with Earth's gravitational pull? <laughs> yeah, he's just like, why are they so heavy in the future? There's that word again, heavy. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was that was my favorite joke in the movie. But um, yeah, I, I really love the movie. And um, that's uh, that's my treasure with the movie. It's fucking great. Michelle, what's your trash and treasure? Okay, I would say I agree with everyone else with the makeup. Yeah, it looks pretty funny, especially when they're sitting at the dinner table. You could see like the awkward creases when she slaps the cake down for their Uncle Joey. That makes me laugh. But other than that, I think the biggest thing I always thought watching the movie growing up is how do Marty and Doc know each other? Like you could take it into a weird way of like, okay, there's so many theories of why, like how did they run into each other? I always thought, 
oh, Marty's at Burger King, and so was Doc, and they just struck it up in line and became cool friends. Struck it up. Let's see what you did there. Does that count as one? That count as one? Sure. All right, Michelle got that one. Was, that was quick. Yeah. Lightning quick. Hey. That doesn't count. You can't piggyback. Oh, yeah, you can. <laughs> But other than that, I don't really have, with the trash, no big trash besides, like, the actress that I would mentioned earlier, who's, like, 25, playing a daughter. That makes me laugh. And then how no one really noticed when he walks out in the suit or his life preserver. No one thought it was peculiar. Or in the 50s when Doc, he just happens to be able to walk through the school. No one knows, especially that Strickland knows him and doesn't really like him. Other than that, I would say that's it for my trash. The treasure soundtrack could listen to it time and time again it just goes really well with everything and hits all the notes uh, i like how they have like huey lewis in the movie as well as how they do like the arrangement of all the genres of rock that have gone from the years between the 50s and the 80s uh, the actors are great i love crispin glover even though he's kind of strange but he plays that role well i don't know who else would be able to play that i think it's funny that his character was a peeping tom and then marty ends up getting hit one thing that I thought they could have probably done was, you know, when Lorraine has Marty in her bed and his name is like, she's like, oh, is your name Calvin? Because it's on your underwear. That would have been cool if she ended up being like the inventor of Calvin Klein. And that they could have been really Mind rich. blown. There you go. There you go. But other than that, the movie flows well, even today after seeing it so many times. I did love you watch it. it today? Yeah. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. So I think it flows well. And then even with going into the future, dealing with the second one. Everything just clicks, and it's there's parts that are corny and you think about, but it's just funny, and you could just throw it on whenever, and that's it. All right, sweet. Don, what's your trash and treasure? Basically, my only trashes are basically what everyone is saying, like the makeup uh, in the beginning and in Strickland. I didn't like his character at all, but, I mean, it, it kind of plays like a... <laughs> he kind of foreshadows the relationship between like how his father acted and how he acted and stuff like that, so I thought it was cool. But I felt like the whole dining room scene was like one of the highlights for me because it just foreshadowed a bunch of things that happened in the movie, like how they met, um, the relationship between the dad and Biff. Um, right when Marty opens the door, <laughs> you hear Biff talking about, you sold me a car with a blind spot. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious, like watching. I just watched it today, too. While I was at work, I was just like... The laugh like, didn't bother you, though, huh? No, no, the, I, I just I just feel like the laugh gave the guy character. It showed, like, how much of, like, a dork he was. Or, like, you know, he's laughing at these old reruns and stuff like that. And, like, not really paying attention to, like, the family dinner conversation. And then the mom's just, like, uh, an alcoholic, just, just reminiscing of old times. And then spewing the same story over and over. And the kids, like, repeating it after her. Um, but I just think that whole dining room scene foreshadowed the whole movie in general. because yeah. you find out later like how they met. Uh, he was a peep and Tom, like as you were saying. Um, she was always saying like she wasn't like a she would never chase no boy or like park up with the boy and stuff like that. But she's actually one of the more aggressive women <laughs> at the time. Drinking, um, smoking, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's just all surprising to Marty when he comes to find out those things. I thought that was brilliant. I just like all the quotables um, that they have, like, think McFly, think, like, hello, is anyone home? Um, but head, like, as I was growing up, I was saying all those things, like, <laughs> to my brothers and all that stuff, so. But I feel like my favorite scene, and it's probably, this is the sh probably one of the shorter scenes, was the Darth Vader Vulcan scene, when he goes to try to convince his dad that he needs to ask Lorraine out. I just thought that was hilarious because it's like pop culture and they don't really understand. And he has like the headphones and he's like using it as like some sort of torture device. 
I thought that was just brilliant. Did we go over the Van Halen thing? No. no. So in there, that's Eddie Van Halen, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, doing the guitar. But I guess they would not release the Van Halen name. So if you look at the cassette tape that he has, it doesn't say Van Halen. It says Eddie Van Halen because mm-hmm. they could get away with that. And that's why that's actually in there because it's him playing the actual guitar. I, I thought that was kind of interesting, but yeah. I don't yeah. know if I like when he says, though... Um, Darth Vader. I'm Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Well, I just think it's because his dad is all into like science fiction theater, and that's how Marty got the idea. He's just like, oh, yeah, okay. So Isn't that Star super- Wars... Star Trek, like yeah, why they they mix and match the shit? Because they don't know about it. I don't know. I I think I I think it's just like to bring modern pop culture to the past. Marty knows about it. No, I know he does. Yeah, it's just I don't know. He's just mixing it up just to like. I just thought it was odd how he mixed it up. I don't know. I always thought it was odd. I think people that are more sensitive to those fandoms would kind of be irritated by it, but I think it's just it's just kind of funny that he would bring two major popular science fiction franchises to the past by kind of mashing those up together, yeah. I think. Yeah, like Marty, you don't, you know, he doesn't come off as like a geek or someone like that. He's just bringing both of them together because it's what he knows as science yeah. fiction theater. So he's bringing what he knows to kind of like try to push his dad into like, okay, you need to do this. I'm going to melt your brain. Like, And how superstitious his dad is, he's like, okay, yeah, I got to do this. Or else Darth Vader from yeah, Vulcan is going <laughs> to... Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so... I thought that was brilliant. And then pretty much everything about this movie, I have no real... I, like, I was watching it today trying to analyze it, and I was asking my coworker, like, like so what do you think? Because I was planning all my lunch, and we were just chilling and watching it. And he's like, so do you have any real trashes on this? Like, I can't think of any. He's like, well, how do they know each other? And I was like, yep. <laughs> that was like my only <laughs> thing. So um, other than that, it's, I just think it's a great time. It's timeless. Um, I have no problem with it, so... All right, cool. Well, I'll get into my trash and treasure real quick. You guys kind of said a lot of stuff I was going to say. You agree with the makeup? Um, you guys have said a lot of things <laughs> that I would say, but I would match that with the treasure, not the trash. But one thing is, and I, I know what you guys are going to say about this, but I was reading this, and I know that they're not supposed to you know, mess with the past or not change anything that's supposed to happen, blah, blah, blah. But you know, Marty wrote that letter to Doc, right? When Marty goes back... Why hasn't Doc changed the location or time or anything? Why does he still go back to deal with the Libyans? He obviously reads the letter, but why doesn't he change any? He just wears a, he just, just wears he, the vest. I think he feels that like, hey, you cannot disrupt the whole time like thing. Like you can't like adjust it. Like you just so therefore instead of like trying to do a whole nother like tangent, he just like if I just wear the vest, then we're good. Yeah, because he's all about like, look at you can't you can't go back in time and do it. He's I mean he's really like, hey, this is what's going to happen. We can't mess with it. Like it's, I mean I think he honestly regrets in two and three creating the DeLorean. He's like, if I wish I could go back in time to like get rid of it, I would, you know. But I think that's why he doesn't. He knows, hey, this is what's supposed to happen or what did happen. So instead of like altering it, like. I'll just wear the vest and everything will just go and then I'll be, I'll be fine. Yeah, and I think um, the thing too is just like, if he tells them a different time, they're going to come after him. If he tells them a different place, they're going to find him somehow, some way. So it's better to just take the shots now, play dead for a while. And maybe they think he's dead. Cause you know how it's going to go down at least yeah. in this scenario. Like, yeah. you know, if you just keep doing everything you've done, it's just going to play out this way and you can prepare, I guess. I just was thinking of it. Should have gone for the head, huh? <laughs> Sorry. Do you get one for that? <laughs> no, I'm not going to. No, no. 
another trash of mine is, I, I don't know why this bugs me, it just does, but in the very beginning, um, he has that huge speaker that he's playing through, but his guitar is so small. It's like ukulele sized. Yeah, it's tiny. It's like, is it really? Oh my God. Dude, it's like, it's like you have to hold it up to like your chest just to play it, it's that small. Yeah, it's like the size of a book or a small book. Like it's really tiny and I'm just like, the speaker is freaking huge. It almost looks uncomfortably small to play. Don't know why, but it always bugged the shit out of me. I'm like, why not have like a big badass like guitar, you know? Because then the next scene with the Battle of the Bands, the guitar looks normal. But he uses this little shitty... And it's a totally different guitar, too. Yeah, but it's like, it looks like a guitar you would expect him to be playing. I don't know. I just thought it was really weird. Sorry, I'm like grasping at straws trying to find my trashes, so... Yeah, I like, have to for this movie, I feel like. With me, yeah, I love this movie, so it's it's tough. Um, George McFly, like after rewatching it and reading some of this research, like he does overact some. Yeah. It's a little over the top. I mean, I always, I really didn't know for sure if they dubbed some of his lines, but it's, now I'm reading it, I'm like, I, I totally, I always suspected that they did yeah. that. And it's just like, I can't see anyone else playing him, but I feel like he just overacts a little bit in certain parts. That's all I really have for trashes, personally. My treasures, again, the score is awesome. Um, I like the music that Alan Silvestri does. I love Huey Lewis and the news in it. Again, like kind of Michelle said, too. And I said earlier, like Huey Lewis in the movie is really cool as well. Yeah. And I think the songs are great. Uh, the car, I think the DeLorean's awesome. Mug and I were talking about it earlier. Like they put so much stuff. They went to random electronic stores and like secondhand stores to build this, like the interior and the exterior of the, of the DeLorean. And like... Uh, Michael J. Fox is just like ramming his hand into all these metal like digital readouts and boxes and all this stuff to try to make it look right and shift this car and it's just like the way they portray the DeLorean it just looked I think it looked really cool uh, I think Michael J. Fox's performance is great in it I'm so glad they went with him I think he brings like a comedic presence and he doesn't say a lot of jokes but just his reactions he's very reactive in his acting so it's like you find yourself laughing at certain parts, just what he's doing. He's not even saying a joke. I think he did a great job. I liked Biff in the 50s. I think he, he plays yeah. his part really well. He's yeah. intimidating. So he's you want to hate him, but you Oh, play, yeah. yeah. He's an asshole. I love Marty's and Biff's interaction, too. Like, Michael J. Fox is a short little shit. Like, and, like, he just fucking, he seems taller than ever when he's, like, going up to Biff. He's just like, no, fuck you. I don't care. Like, I'm going to go after you. Yeah. Yeah. I think he does a great job. I love those scenes. The idea of Marty being behind the inspiration of skateboarding and rock and roll and Calvin Klein, all these things. I, I love how they do that. And then I was watching a, uh, my last treasure is I was watching a behind the scenes and uh, Bob Gale and Robert Semeckis were talking about how they came up with their storyboarding this um, in the beginning. And they just use a lot of index cards, but they just like thought of things that they wanted Marty to do. They're like, hey, you know, I want Marty to invent rock and roll. And that would be a note card. And like, well, well, he's going to do that when he goes to the past. How do we like tell the audience that he knows how to play? Okay, we need to have Marty playing a guitar. All right, that's another one. And they just like kind of, we want Marty to be able to skateboard, you know, in the 50s. Well, he has to know how to skateboard. So we got to show him, you know, skateboarding in the in 1985. So they kind of just built this that's story. fucking great. Yeah, yeah that's I, just movie magic. Create right parallels yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, I just liked how like they had these cool ideas. Like they, of course, like always, they, they love the idea of time travel. So they started there, but then it's like they start building off the, hey, we want him to invite, invent rock and roll. We want him to invent skateboarding. Like, all these cool things that obviously Michael J. Fox is into as well. And it's just like, they just created this whole story just based on, I just thought it was like, it's simple, but it's really cool how they did that. So Your that's kids are going to love it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know that's that's a, what he said. I know, I'm just saying, I don't know that's a pun, but that's pretty good. No, that's just a pun. I'm, okay, I'm okay. not quoting the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's a great. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's my last treasure. So 
There's a lot of treasures. I, yeah, I could keep probably keep going. There's yeah. so many yeah, things we're, I, I yeah, like. We're good. Yeah. So let's get into our ticket prices. We're going to tell you how much we would pay to watch Back to the Future. Muggs, why don't you tell us how much you would pay to watch this movie? This is tough because I, I love this movie and I love number two and all that. I can't give it a 20, though. I have to give it a 15. It's a very, very high 15. I think nothing was brought to the table to give it a 20 for me, but I'm going to go high 15. High 15, yeah. I'm giving it a 15. How dare you? Yeah, sorry. How dare you? I mean, you realize that number two can't happen without this first one. I get that, but no, 15. All right. 15. All right, guys. I'm going to give this movie 20. Wow, you've never given a movie a 20 ever. Not only... Is this a $20 movie? This is a perfect movie. Wow. Like Perfect. I put this movie, as far as its relevance to my life, I'm not going to put this movie in my top 10, but I think this is a perfect movie, and I have to give it 20. All right. I love this movie. I love it. All right, so Michelle, what about you? I'm giving it a 20. Damn. You want to elaborate? Case closed. All right, I love perfect. it. My favorite movie. Nothing wrong in my eyes. There you go. All right, Dominic, what about you? I don't see nothing wrong. No, it's like twenty dollars. Wow, twenty dollars. <laughs> All right, and Jason, what are you paying? I think um, I, I have to go twenty. You have to go twenty. I think um, when I was a kid, again, I liked two a little bit more. But I, like I said, as I've aged, I think that this first one it really just you know sets up this whole trilogy to be amazing, and you, you can't deny it. it's a, it's a great great movie yeah you can go like i can age t- 10 years and still love this movie like it's it still holds i don't know how would you put it still holds water still holds weight. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like, i agree and today like when i was telling you earlier like i watched this movie this morning for the review but every time you watch this movie it's like your first time watching it and it's it's amazing every time you see it and like you were saying jason like you're reaching for stuff to trash this movie on same thing with me yeah. like I'm, I'm looking more at technical things as opposed to Things that are actually wrong with the movie. Yeah, yeah. great movie. So, what's our uh, what's our rating for it? <laughs> so this ties Forrest Gump, nineteen dollars. Wow, they were doing yeah, not perfect, but it's nineteen is right there. Well, it's your fault. It's not perfect, but yeah, dickhead. How come he didn't say that when he gave Forrest Gump a fifteen? Because I had legitimate fucking reasons. I it's not a minute long. I don't care if it's one twenty one. I don't I don't like that. And there's other things. You the voiceover. Should, you should appreciate oh, it. And I, I love watch. number two like Jeff so much more. I, I watched it for I don't know. I just all right. Well, I'm cutting your rating out. Doc Brown is hilarious <laughs> in this movie. Seriously. Yeah. I just think it's hilarious too. It's like, like where's this kid? Damn. During this whole podcast, damn, we keep damn. saying <laughs> we love number two. I think it's just kind of funny. What would number two get? <laughs> twenty. I would give number yeah, two. Yeah, I would 20. give number two twenty. I, I, so I, I would give number two a fifteen. Interesting. So then it would be the exact opposite between you and I. Huh? Yeah, but yeah. except you're wrong. So that's <laughs> debatable. Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> I have a question I want to ask. What do you want to ask? So this whole how Doc Brown and Marty McFly met, correct? I told you I had read that it was he hired him as his like assistant. You know. What's the reason how they eventually meet up? Do you guys have any theories? Because I read one that I'm kind of like, it's kind of interesting if this is the way it is. I don't know. I have one theory based on what you just said, but it doesn't make sense considering things. So what's your theory? My theory is that because Doc met Marty, he specifically recruited him based on his experiences in 1955. But but that wouldn't make sense considering Marty had lived in a uh, less than spectacular home environment, which means he hadn't affected the past yet. So that goes totally out the window because Doc had never met Marty prior to that. 
Or you don't think that was part of his timeline? Like, hey, I met this kid, and then when I finally meet him, he's going to be my assistant, and then we'll go from there that works, down that other path. That works in the future that Marty ends up in, but when 1985 is the present at the very start of the movie, his lifestyle is different, which means that he hasn't yet affected the past, which means Doc Brown never knew him in the past. I, think, I feel like Doc Brown... I don't know. I feel like that's what he wants. To, I, I don't know. Like he doesn't want to. I, I get what you're saying. I don't know. What do you guys think? No one else has it. An no opinion. Theory. The only way that would work is if uh, Marty had the better life at the very beginning of the movie and still went back in time, and then he would realize he was the cause for all that. But because everything was less than spectacular, that means he hadn't yet affected their lives, yeah. which means Doc Brown never met him, which means Doc Brown would have no reason to specifically seek him out based on his past experiences. I, don't, yeah, I, don't my, my, <laughs> I mean, my only theory I kind of voiced earlier was that, you know, Marty may have went to him for something for the speaker. You know, Marty had these desires to be a rock star. Maybe he went to equipment and all that. Yeah, maybe he's like, hey, ran into him or called his 24 hour scientific service that he was doing and said, hey, can you help me build something that is louder than whatever else I can I can buy in the store? And I don't know. I don't. That's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah. Anyone else watch Rick and Morty? Yeah. This is based off of it. Yeah. Yeah. When I first started watching that show, I saw the similarities right away. Didn't didn't Morty wear like a. Uh, vest in the pilot or whatever the first season yeah yeah they look the same too and they get a relation- car yeah yeah did you guys ever see the animated series of back to the future yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> i think i may have watched an episode of it too but i don't remember it very well if it's good I heard or not. It's bad I, I loved it as a kid did you really oh yeah i i waited for that shit to come on even though it's terrible never but. knew it existed till today i'm sure it's oh, on youtube or something so. All I know is I love the ride, and I'm so bummed that Universal took it away, man. Dude, that ride the Simpsons ride is god-awful. Yeah. I hate the Simpsons ride. I just wrote that on Friday. Two you know what's ago. funny? Like When we talk about Back to the Future, Back to the Future keeps coming up as one of the main franchises that studios keep thinking about rebooting. But they a lot they never do they it again. Right? Yeah, yeah, but a lot of critics and a lot of like movie websites and uh, reporters come out and say, this is one franchise that should never have a sequel on top of three. Or should never be rebooted, but it, it keeps coming up in that conversation of should there be a reboot? Should there be a reboot? I hope they never do that. Yeah, yeah, should. it's good as is. It'll never fly. Hey, <laughs> come on, man. We're trying to move on to the future. I thought we we're past that. Whatever. I, I, mean, I don't even know. Whatever. All right. Well, if Tom Cruise is in this movie, who would he play? Mugga, it's on to you. Oh, I know who we play. All right, Michelle. Okay, Michelle, you. No, no, I, I, I got one. Go ahead, you, you do yours. Because yeah, I have mine. But all right, yeah. well, all right, Dominic, you go first. Go ahead. Biff. Damn it! I should have gone first. <laughs> yeah, he's got to be Biff. Or I think I can't, he would, I can't see. Well, sorry. Uh, sorry, he would be one of the goons who's in the diner who grabs Marty's like this fool thinks he's gonna drown. The guy with the. 3D? Yeah, the uh, 3D guy. That's in the second one, though. But. Uh, I would... Damn, Crispin Glover's performance is so good in this movie, I can't replace him because he just plays that role so well. What does he play better in this movie or the villain in Charlie's Angels? <laughs> but, no. no, this movie. He's a, this he's, movie. Yeah. This he's, movie. He's, he's better in this movie. I forgot about that. I'm a, he's a, he's <laughs> a grabs, weirdo. He grabs her hair, yeah. Drew Barrymore's hair. Uh, man, you know, it. Marty, I'm going to make him Strickland. Or Tom Cruise, I'm going to make Tom Cruise Strickland. Damn the it. principal? That's, that's what it's I was going to say. I swear to God, I was going to say. Back then. Both. Minor, okay. Why Strickland? 
because I don't want to. Re- I don't want to replace anybody else. That's true. In this that's, movie. that's how I feel as well. Like I, I, Strickland, he might be able to do it and have a small part, but I can't replace Michael J. Fox. I can't replace anyone or his older brother. Yeah, I was gonna say he'd be the older brother. Mm. But I, I'd want him to have more. Like, a role. Yeah, more of a role, I think, if I have He's the redhead kid that steals Lorraine at the dance. Or <laughs> or he's uh he's the guy at the ice cream parlor. The the dude that gives him uh like the non sugar coffee or whatever. Yeah, when he's asking that? for Pepsi when free. When he's asking actually for Pepsi for like free, a tab, that's he, like actual like cola. Yeah, that's yeah. an actual drink. And Diet Coke replaced it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, so like he would be the uh the guy at the ice cream bar, ice cream parlor guy, uh-huh. he'd be him, maybe. Oh, like the owner of the diner who yeah. has Goldie as his, like, who sweeps? Well, Pe- Pepsi Free was Pepsi, but decaffeinated. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would go Biff. I, I mean, I know that I love him as a villain, but, like, st- or I don't he know. could be Needles in Back to the Future, too. <laughs> yeah, he could be Needles, too, yeah. Isn't, isn't that I'm, Flea, though? Isn't yeah, flea it's Flea. It? Yeah, yeah. All right, but just just this movie, though. Biff. 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 I would go Biff. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't take away Docs. You can't take away Marty. I mean, unless Tom Cruise can play a female. (laughs) Like, I I don't see anyone else, dude. (laughs) It could be Lorraine. Okay. It could be Lorraine. (laughs) All right. So, this was a homosexual. When we we do part two, we're going to bring the same crew back, right? Yes, for sure. Yep. Then we actually have to do three. And then I'll finally be able to watch and it. You'll see ZZ Top. Well, I do have that one on DVD. That's the only one I have, but I do have it. We got it on DVD too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're signing off. And uh, in the words of Tom Cruise, make like a tree and get out of here. That's what he says. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't know. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, and thank you for listening. Riding in my car, and I'm to the radio, I'm listening to a sad girl sing. The way you are is frowning. You better not. Oh. All right, so uh, in the words of Tom Cruise, make like a tree and get out. Did I say it wrong? Yes. Directed, directed. Can by someone else say it? I'm not fucking saying it. Who wants to say it? I'll say it. All right, there you go. All right, all right.